Welcome back to season two of the Peter Panda podcast. On this first episode, we're headed into sheep country of Alaska with my friend, mentor, and basically hijacked big brother, Kurt Roscoe. Now, if you haven't listened to all of season one of this here podcast, let me stop you right now. We got nine incredible episodes ahead of this one, ready for download right now. Do me a solid and go check them out. Now, you probably know Kurt Roscoe from his wildly successful gear company, Stone Glacier, but that's not what impresses me about this guy. He's a real killer, a mountain warrior, the kind of predator all of us hope to be half of each time we go afield. You look in the dictionary under the real deal, and you're going to find photos of this dude. Pack your bags, and don't forget your rain gear. We're about to go sheep hunting with a legend, Kurt Roscoe. A little bit. All right. I like your setup here. Yeah. Two it's, fingers. It's a mo. That's kind of what I try to go with. Yeah. But I, I will dial everything in here. Okay. Yeah, all this shit fits in a Pelican case, like a small little carry-on. Yeah. And I've been able to travel with it and take it with me and stuff. So it went up to Alaska last year, um, and it made its way to texas with me in maryland and it's fun i've really enjoyed it it's been like a cool creative outlet for me you're really good at this kind of thing well and at least there's you, something i can do get the fuck out <laughs> um, no i do like talking to people and um i feel like if i'm interested in the subject matter i i've been told i ask good questions and steer things in the right direction or whatever uh kurt roscoe well, everyone knows you because you're the brains behind stone glacier but i don't want to talk about that <laughs> everyone already knows about that what i want to dive into is your career as a hunter and more specifically your stint in alaska which was really uh defining and defining and life-changing chapter of your life um so when did you get into honey you grew up in western montana i know that yeah um i got into it when i was old enough to go with my dad that's what it was was yeah you and your dad yeah me and my dad and primarily deer hunting every once in a while we went elk hunting but um weren't real successful elk hunters at the time most people aren't (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and so that's really where it all started. Hunting with your dad. Yep. That's a pretty typical American story. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, hunting has been in my family. I don't know, the four or five generations that we've been here in Montana, so, um, you guys yeah, it was just kind of natural. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so where'd you go to college? I went to college here in Bozeman at MSU. Hey, me too. Yeah. Let's go Bobcat. I killed a Bobcat. There. Well, I trapped a Bobcat the other night. You did? Yeah. Out, out of three forks there. Um, yeah, it's the first Bobcat I've trapped in like five years. So what kind of set? What, what do you do? I, I'm do, not It was in a, uh, I call it like a, a little cubby set. Like it looks like a little nook at the base of a tree where an animal came along and like buried a little piece of bait in a hole. Yeah, and then out in front of it, I've got two foothold sets, number threes, and 
some lure that just stuff smells like death. I don't know if you're familiar with trapping lures, but it is an indescribable scent. All of them. And there's a lot of different ones, but it's like a next level scent. And that's your lure. So that was part of the set. And uh, I put it in an area where I've been seeing a lot of bobcat tracks. And lo and behold, I'm snowmobiling up to my trap line the other night. I cut a fresh bobcat track and it's going towards the set. And I was like, oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and I get there and then I get like 30 yards within the set and I can hear the, a chain rattle and pull. And I was like, there's something in there. And yeah, it was a nice bobcat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was beautiful. I felt lucky to get it. I also got into Martin trapping recently. So that was a different story. We're not here to talk about trapping. Unless you did some trapping in Alaska. <laughs> I did not. I know you did. <laughs> so, uh, what'd you get a degree in? I got my degree in secondary education. So, uh, to teach. You wanted to be a teacher? Yep, to be a teacher in uh, biology and technology education. Okay. That was the focus of it? Yep. And immediately out of college, you looking for a job as a teacher? I did, yeah. I actually did my student teaching in Homer, Alaska. Oh, you did? Yep. And are you still in college when you're student teaching? Or yeah, that yeah, that's your last semester. Okay. Yeah, your last semester of education. And then did you come back here to graduate or? Yeah, kind of. Kind of I, yeah, yeah, I came back here because I didn't have a job up there. So that, that was still part of school. Let me back up. How did you end up in Homer, Alaska as a substitute teacher? It was. Is it not substitute? Pure luck. What was it called? Uh, student teaching. Student teaching. I'm familiar. I yeah. As a child. Yeah, it, pure luck. It, pure, it was pure luck. Um, I had a professor who had a couple of connections in Alaska. I knew that I wanted to go to Alaska, and I wanted to start my teaching career up there, primarily because I enjoyed the outdoors, hunting, fishing, yep. everything that had to offer. Wages were better. It was just, you know, it was the next. It adventure. was the next. It was the next step for you. That yep. was that was a lot like when I left Ohio. Yeah. I, I when I was making jump from high school to college. That was the same. I just had this natural draw to go out west. I didn't know where or why. Or I knew I wanted to hunt elk, and I naturally just gravitated towards Montana. So you're out. You're born and raised Montana, and your next step was just to the North Country. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Had you at that point, as a senior in college, you? You getting into elk hunting and mountain hunting pretty more hardcore? Have you hunted sheep or goat yet? Yeah, I had hunted sheep. <laughs> I had an opportunity when I was a senior in high school. So I, I grew up outside of Missoula in the western part of the state. And that was really during the heyday of western sheep hunting. So the Governor Rock Tag, Creek. yeah, Rock Creek, Perma Paradise, yeah. all of those types of areas, um, Anaconda. And, but there was a unit that was up out of Libby that gave out 11 U tags and only nine people put in. Oh, so my senior year of high school, I decided, well, I want to go sheep. I want to try this out. So I put in for that U tag. And then someone, once football was over, yep. my dad and a couple of my friends went up there and th that was kind of the first experience with it. And did you get a U? Yeah. Yeah. No yeah, kidding. I did. Yeah. Easy hunt. Um, it, it I, it was a day hunt, but you did had you to go climb a mountain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was an all-day affair, and got yourself into some spots you didn't really feel comfortable in. So it kind of that was your very first taste of sheep hunting. That was, yeah. And you liked it. I did. I liked it a lot. Yeah, bighorns are pretty cool. Did you see any big rams? 
No, no, we didn't, surprisingly. So you, you've got a little bit of taste for sheep hunting, and I've seen, I've seen some of the bull elk you've killed, I think, when you were in college. And you have yep. some tremendous – you were, I would say, an accomplished elk hunter. Yeah, or lucky, one of the two. It, you did some it, hardcore stuff to get some of those elk. I remember that, yeah. late, that big late-season bull that you killed in the snow. You spotted him thousands of feet up above you one day. Yeah. Climbed up the entire way, sat there all day, and the damn thing came out right in the same spot. Is that, yeah. So is that the correct story? For yeah, people? yeah, that, that, that's how it went down. It went down how you'd hope it would go down. And then you had a gang of friends who came and helped you out. Yeah, yeah, it just cost me a couple cases of beer. and it's the best pack. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. So you make it to Alaska. You're a student teacher. You're finishing up college. Um, do you do it when you're there? Do you get to go fishing or hunting at all on that first trip? No. When I went up, I student taught in that that winter spring semester, so I got to go fishing a bit. Not a ton going on in the Kenai. No, no, there really wasn't, and especially by the time I had to leave, bears weren't even out. So I just got a little taste of it, and then from there, I had to find a job. Mm -hmm. So that was just that was just part of the education that uh, when I was there for the first time. But I was lucky in that. The teacher that I student taught under was retiring that year. Mm. So I interviewed for that job. So it ended up being a long-term interview, really. So they knew who I was. And did that you in. get I, to start the following year? I did, yeah. Yeah, what I got hired. Teaching? Um, I was teaching everything. I was teaching consumer math. I was teaching typing. Is I that was, just the small town element, small school maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was, and especially coming in as a new teacher. Like, hey, we need somebody over here. We're yeah. gonna have you do this, and you're—I've never heard you. You're gonna coach say, football. Coach say basketball. no to helping somebody, so I'm sure yeah. they were spreading you pretty thin. Yeah. So Homer was home. Yep. Homer, home, Homer. Um, did you like? I've never been there. I keep trying to get to Homer. Uh, Every year before guide season, I'll usually take like a week to be a tourist or whatever. And two years ago, we went up and did a big Denali rip, and then. Um, we made it down the Kenai as far as like uh, Seward, maybe. And then this past year, I w was dead set. I was like, we're going to spend the whole time working down the Kenai, and I want to get to Homer. Well, I think we got to Seldotna. So I'm, st I'm yet to get to Homer, Alaska, and I hear nothing but cool things about it. But if you don't know about Homer, Alaska, there's one road in, there's one road out, and it's right on the southern tip of the Kenai Peninsula. Yep, correct. So it's pretty r remote place i mean it takes a while to get from anchorage to homer yeah on in a car yeah um, yeah it does but it is you loved it it was gorgeous i mean it's still to this day one of the prettiest places i've ever been just the way you roll up over the top of the hill and look down in and catch mac bays in front of you and paradise it yeah it really is it's it's spectacular so you fell in love yep yeah and from there, your first year teaching, you know, you had to work, I'm sure, to gain your residency in Alaska. That took a minute. Yeah. What was your introduction to hunting in Alaska? So, yeah, yeah, you had to be a resident for 12 months. That's right. Same uh, as it yeah. is today. Yeah, same as it is today. And then I got to go on a couple of goat hunts. Uh, there were teachers there at the school that had that drawn permits and actually there was a couple of registration right across the bay 
And then they had friends who had boats. So I got to go on a couple of adventures that way, a couple of bear hunts that spring. Black bear? Yep. And yeah. just tag along and learn a lot. Okay. Um, did, did you get mountain goat fever? I, as soon as I hunted a mountain goat, I was like, well, this is the, the pinnacle of it all for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely was because we were going in uh, later October. Yeah. So it's once all the leaves have fallen. They're still up high. Um, you could do some spotting from from the water, from the ocean, up into these spots. And, yeah, it, it was cool. And I think there's just something, and I think that's what's always drawn me to, whether it be late-season elk hunting or sheep hunting or goat hunting. When you can spot something and you spend the entire day or multiple days trying to get there, it's just that excitement level and anticipation and all those things are so I don't know. It's, it's, it's addicting. The, it's almost the definition of hunting. You're actively hunt, like when you can see that goat or when you find a sheep four miles away or whatever it is, you're, you're an active predator and you're actively hunting at that point. Almost yeah. everything leading up to that is hiking with a gun, right? Well, that's exactly it's it. Like you're not actually being a predator until you're in pursuit, in lethal pursuit of an animal. Yeah. So I know what you mean by being able to get eyes on something and you feel it it's in it's an engaging level of hunting that uh not all hunts offer yeah. so big country big places what uh what was some of the gear you were using give me uh i'm not gonna age you but <laughs> that's okay this is uh you just had a big birthday i did Happy yeah birthday yeah, well thank you yeah you look if you if Anyone listening has never seen Kurt Roscoe. He looks 20 years younger than he actually is, so I don't feel bad talking about him. Uh, if only we could all be so lucky. Yeah, right. My 30s have been rough on me, man. They have not. Every day I wake up, I'm like, what has happened to you? <laughs> That's normal. Yeah, I guess. Um, tell me about some of the gear you were using. What are you, your young 20s? You're in your young 20s? I was, yeah, 22, 23, and... I was not using the correct gear. Oh, yeah, I'll put it that it. way because I showed up there. And at that time, there just weren't all of waterproof breathables and all the technical gear that we were using. It was available, and you definitely saw it in the Alpine market and the skiing market. But you rarely saw people using it in the hunting. And so I showed up with a lot of wool, yep. um, pack boots, and just was miserable yeah. because it's so wet and was actually lucky to not get myself into a spot that could have been real compromising just because of the gear. Well, I got questions down my list here about stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I, everything was probably much heavier than the gear you're using today yeah. uh, and much more easily compromised in bad weather. Um, do you remember what kind of rifle you were shooting back in the day? I had I had the same rifle that I have right now. It's configured a little bit different, but <laughs> That's awesome. when I was a senior in college, I bought myself a Weatherby, and it was stainless. And they only made it in a 375 H and H, which was the largest. So I shot it in a 375 H and H the first year, and then I had it rechambered to a 378 Weatherby when I moved up to Alaska, and so that's still the same. It's just, well, it's the same action now. It's had two or three different barrels yeah, on it since worked, then. Yeah, worked through some barrels. Um, yeah. Let's touch on that, because that's a big gun. 
And did you, what's your philosophy on the calibers you choose to hunt with? Cause it'd be easy to say, uh, you know, that to kill a doll sheep, you certainly don't need a cannon that big. No. But what, why do you prefer that? What's your logic behind it? Well, that's changed over the years. Oh, has it? Yeah. Yeah. At the time when I moved to Alaska, I had aspirations of hunting moose and hunting brown bear. And that, that was big, the, big yeah, animals. big animals. And I also didn't have a lot of money. So showing up with three or four different rifles and picking what you're going to take really wasn't an option. So right. that's, that's how I landed on that caliber. And uh, I'd had several different Weatherbees at that point. And there were certainly many different calibers that would have worked for that. And yes, it was on the larger end of it. But that was really my philosophy at the time. Is it One gun to do it all. One gun to do it all. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've adopted a bit of that mentality of one gun to do it all. And forever, that was my 270. Uh, I killed, I might busted up wooden 270. Yeah, I remember that. Needs some oil. Um, I killed everything on God's green earth with that until I was in my mid to late 20s. Um, but then I stepped up to 300 caliber rifles and uh, magnums. And I. I'm a big fan of it. I just, I think if you're going to kill something, double kill it, hit it hard. Yeah. Um, I'm not in the business of trying to like waste meat or like blow up shoulders and stuff, but losing game is the worst of worst thing ever. So I think yeah. there's a good theory behind, yeah, if you're going to shoot something and your intention is to kill it, obviously hit it really hard Yeah. and knock it down. Um, but you're still shooting that same setup today, huh? I have rebarreled that to a 3378, but yeah, I carry that one quite a bit when elk hunting here. Yeah. What was your introduction to dull sheep hunting in Alaska? Well, so after I became a resident, the next year I really wanted to dull sheep hunt and really the only opportunity for me was on the Kenai Peninsula and it's it's tough the registration a lot of it has changed yeah, yeah there a lot of it has gone to permit but That's at the time yeah but at, at the time a lot of it a majority of it was just over the counter wow. your your harvest ticket yeah and so there were several areas that were only you know within 100 miles of Homer where you could go off of the road and hike back in and get in the sheep and you can mm. find sheep now finding illegal ram was extremely tough yeah there is a lot of competition numbers weren't really high still not high it no they're still not high maybe lower yeah 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 they might be but it was i really enjoyed going and normally could find sheep but i only saw one legal ram in the first five years that i hunted no kidding. You yep. had a real slow start to it. Very, very slow. Let me ask you this. Uh, did you have any mentors or sheep hunting buddies? Or you're known today as a super hardcore and accomplished solo backpack hunter. Uh, was it that from day one? Or were you? did you have some mentors no. and friends? So, yeah, in the beginning, I didn't. Um, once I was there... I had met a couple of other friends that, that had sheep hunted quite a bit and they were super helpful because 
you have to remember this was at a time before you just went on a forum to try to get information or <laughs> we didn't have onyx maps no you didn't have onyx you you know yeah at, information was harder to dig up very very hard so and the sheep hunting community is notoriously tight-lipped on any information so Absolutely. They, they might give you some information on how to keep safe, but they're not going to tell you where to go. <laughs> they and might tell you to go to the wrong spot. <laughs> they very well might. Yeah, we're not above it. Um, so you're starting from scratch, and you're starting in an era where the information is not easy to come by. So you're really cutting your teeth trying to become a sheep hunter like the hardest way possible. Yeah. Uh, just lacing up your boots and figuring it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the nice thing about doing it down there is because there was sheep country that was accessible from the road, you could go, you could set your own boundaries. Yeah. So in the beginning, I might have only been comfortable for one overnight or two overnights because this was all a new game for me Yep. and new country and trying to figure it out. So you slowly just kept, every every time you went, you learned something. Yeah, was, was sheep hunting ever intimidating to you uh, or was it always... I mean, there's a dangerous element to all of that going out into the mountains alone. Um, or was it always just uh, a strong addiction to it or a strong passion to just have more of it? It was both. Uh, yeah, it, it was both. I, I did have a strong addiction to it. But all of that country can be very intimidating on your own, especially yeah. when you haven't done anything like that before. Because we, you have a little bit of that here in Montana, but it's a different thing when you're – and there are lots of places that are like this, but a lot of the places on the Kenai, you're leaving right off of the Kenai River. Yep. And there are a pile of bears in there, and there's yeah. there's just a lot going on. And so you, it's always in the back of your mind. I didn't ever have any issues, so it's more of a mental game than it was for sure physical. Um, were you as much of a minimalist in those early days of sheep hunting as you were today? Do you think no. everybody's guilty of? I used to carry too much shit. Yeah, no, I, I definitely used to, and and not the right shit. Yeah. So, yeah, no, my, I, w I was I was lucky to make it out of situations that I was not prepared for my, in the beginning. My personal philosophy for whittling down my gear list is if I take something on three or four hunts and I don't use it, this the exception to this is like a first aid kit yeah. or the inReach. Um, if I take something and I don't use it several hunts in a row, I, I comes out of my backpack and yep. sometimes it's like painful things to leave behind. It's like, Hey, you went three hunts and I never, you know, I had a, I had a safety pin at one point. So I was like, Oh, I could safety pin. That's I could make a needle with that i could fix something i could patch a hole with that and then you just don't use it and don't use it and you're like i don't need a fucking safety pin out here <laughs> yeah so anyways that's a one example but what were some of the things you remember carrying back in the day just too much food heavy yeah. gear well it was because even when you get down to the food i i wasn't dialed in on what you could bring so you might be bringing because of what you brought you might be bringing three pounds of food when yeah. we can go do it for 1.8 pounds right now. So, and, and it went across everything. So it was an old school sleeping bag. It was, um, a cheap, I can't even remember timberline tent, which was a single pole. 
you're just lucky that you didn't get a big win. <laughs> yeah. Maybe during you those, did. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of all of those things. So, yeah, across the board, I would bet everything that you were carrying was 30 or 40% heavier than yeah. what we can get right now. I think it's so funny that uh, it took uh, the hunting community so long to catch up or align with the technical uh, materials and products that the alpine, the skiing, and the mountaineering industry, they're 30 years ahead of us. Yeah. We've caught up quickly. Um, but man, yeah, back, it wasn't that long ago. No. We're, all, we're both going up the same mountain. Yeah. And these guys had way nicer stuff earlier on than we did. Yeah. And what I found out is as I started to meet more people in that sheep hunting community, the experienced guys, they were in that. They, they, they had, they had already adopted a lot of those mountaineering things. You saw, uh, sheep hunters using plastic boots. Which you, um, you made the change to that. I did. Yep. Was that early on? Yeah. So that was probably, no, that wasn't early on. I was, I was up there for five or six years okay. before I, before I made that swap. But you slowly, the, the sophisticated sheep hunter, the successful sheep hunters are the passionate ones are slowly starting to adopt some of this stuff from these other outdoor industries. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, that's really where it started. Cause oh, I don't know where else it would have come from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I look at my own gear today and you got stuff like black diamond mixed in with your stone glacier. And it's like two very different customer bases. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But both top shelf outdoor Alpine gear. So tell me about it. five years in you're hunting off the road mm -hmm. and you see your first legal ram. Yeah. And did I've I've experienced something like that here in Montana once upon a time and it was a magical moment. I'm sure you remember it, was. it very well. Yeah, oh I remember it extremely well, but it was it didn't quite go down the way that you would anticipate because I had found this ram. It didn't end up being that far from where I'd spiked out in camp that night. I think I was in there for three days and had gone in a day before the season and then located these sheep made a move on them and then found them again that morning but i was above them looking down into these shoots probably about 100 yards and i watched him all day or a majority of the day and this was on i had to go out that next morning and so i watched him until dark could not could not De uh, be definitive about whether or not he was legal or not couldn't count rings didn't have a spotting scope it was in the early days but he's in the ballpark but he's in the ballpark and you're looking down on him so the the horns looking at you know just your whole perspective so i go back to camp that night and i wake up in the morning and i go back over and i just take one more look at him before i have to go back because i have to teach the next day and i decide i can't do it no kidding I, yep and so I walked, I walked back, I was breaking down my camp and this guy and his son had been camped. I didn't know this about a mile away and we're working their way towards, towards me, towards that sheep. And they asked me if I saw anything. I just was like, yeah, I saw this. This <laughs> is so what he was. Honest. Yeah. And, and so the guys go over there and I'm thinking they're probably going to think the same thing I am. Then I hear a gunshot. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. So then it's I just quit. Really bad for you or really bad for them? Yeah, yeah. 
And so I go over there. I go back. I can't help it. I can't just walk out. What happened? And yeah, sure enough, it was legal. No kidding. Yeah. But I didn't feel poorly about it because I I feel like oh, that was my decision. You. And it also reminded me a lot about, so the, the guy's son was, I think, only 13 or 14 years old. So it just reminded me a lot of hunting with my dad. So oh, I couldn't really feel jealous or poorly about it, but... It was a good, it was a good learning experience for me. I think that speaks deeply to character as a human that you, you were able to walk away from the sheep. And then when it turned out to be a legal ram, you were able to see the silver lining in the whole experience. Yeah. I'm sure you weren't fully uh, pumped. Oh, no, no, I was not at all. I felt, yeah, I felt pretty stupid at the end, but. Tell uh, me about the first time you flew in a super cup. Well, it was a little bit down the road. The first fly-in hunt I went on was on a beaver on floats. Oh, really? Into the Chugash. Yeah. And so that was my first fly-in hunt of, any, cool of any sort. Plane. I love beavers. Oh, yeah. Just workhorse. You hear them from so far away. I They're, know. They just roar. They do. And when they take off, you feel safe. Yeah, you do. <laughs> when They're you take big. off in a super cub, you're like, I hope we get off the ground <laughs> right now. I know. I know. Especially when you watch the pilot go out there and just grab the tail and spin it around <laughs> yeah. and push it around. Oh, no, they'd yell at you and tell pounds. you to come pick up the tail with them. Yeah. So you, your first hunt was out of a beaver. Were you shooting? Yeah, yeah I was. Cool. I was. Yeah, I went into the Chugash, the, into an area that's now, it's a draw unit, has been for years, but at the time it wasn't. Yeah, we're not going to spot burn anything, but a lot of things have changed through the years and so we'll we'll keep it uh just vague yes vague so you're in you're in there and i assume this beaver's on floats yep so you're yep. starting at the bottom still yep yep you're starting at the bottom and the gentleman who flew me in man i can't remember his first name now but they he and his son had operated their um an air service for years and I'm going to ballpark him at 72, 74 when he flew me in. Old pilot. Old pilot. You know the saying. Old pilots are good pilots. Well, yeah. There's there's bold pilots and old pilots, but there yeah. are no old and bold pilots. Yeah. So but, this guy's been around the block. Yeah, he had. He didn't wear hearing protection or headset. He just turned his, <laughs> hear, yeah, he turned his hearing aids off when he flew. Oh, but it, he was super cool because when I called him and I wanted to book to go in there, he said, you're going to go in by yourself? And I said, yeah, I didn't have anybody else to go with. And, and he said, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to do this. And I said, responsible for you. Yeah. Yeah. I said, uh, yeah, I promise you I've, I've I'll, been out. I said, I'm not the most experienced uh, or accomplished, myself, but you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll be able to take care of myself. And so he said, okay, that sounds good. So I had it booked for 10 days. You had to talk the pilot into this. Yeah, yeah, and so it, yeah, yeah. When I booked it a few months earlier, and so that all worked out, and he took me and dropped me off, and I was supposed to be in there for ten days, and but the weather had set in, and it ended up being fourteen days total. Oh wow! But the funny part about it is that I ended up taking a sheep early in the hunt, something like the third or fourth day. Oh, you better eat and, that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was getting really cold, so this had was in kill, September. Had you killed sheep at this point? No. This is your first yep. all sheep. Yeah. This is your first ram. Yep, first ram. First ram. Yeah, so it was pretty exciting. And it back, was a Back up before, you're, yeah. you're in there 14 days, so you 
gotten to your on your ram on day three walk me into that what did that look like you got into the country you had scouted you had looked at maps at the time I yep, assume. yep just maps to kind of know where i was going to go so i was in a uh, a pretty i was in a good spot once i got back in and set up my main camp and that there were several different valleys that you could kind of work down through you had a little and crow's I, nest yep and so i worked i worked down one and now this was the only time that it ever happened to me but i found this ram with 10 or 12 views and lambs in September, which hmm. I hadn't seen before. I, I didn't see after that ever. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't know sheep, uh, we are way pre-rut at this point. Yeah. And the boys should not be with the, the ewes. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was pretty out of the ordinary and he was a nice ram. He was just a little under 39. Oh, wow. And that's a but great it, ram. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. <laughs> And so I brought him back to camp and then I was just sitting around waiting for the rest of it, you know, trying to keep the weasels out of it and, and just taking care of meat and doing day trips. But it's long days, but I had two other Rams. I got out of the tent one morning, come woke up, look up about 800 yards above me. And both of them were bigger than the one I shot. No kidding. Yeah. And then two days later, and it was the biggest Ram I've ever seen in Alaska came down on the other side of the valley to to that point or to date to date yeah to it was date. it was a giant wow and did you have some of that chugach mass i assume yes he had it all yeah deep argali yeah as brandon purcell would call him yeah it it's hard to put a number to him but you're talking you know, 43 44 maybe more what does that pencil or, out to like 175 inch sheep yeah, it would, I guess it would depend on his bases. Right. But, yeah, what I know now is definitely a buck sheep. Wow. Wow. So you you got to kill a sheep, and then you got you got ram fever out there. Just <laughs> totally. sitting around by yourself looking at giant sheep. Yeah. Letting yeah, the was, days go by. That was a pretty cool experience. Did you eat a bunch of sheep meat? I ate a little bit of it, but I didn't have that much fuel with me. So <laughs> sounds no, sounds normal for no, you. Knowing, yeah, knowing that I might be there a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're trying to be conservative with it. Yeah. And then you had to you get in some bad weather and you had to ride out uh, 10, 11 days before a pickup. Yeah. Do you have a sat phone? No. Nope. No, you have no communication. No, nothing. But I knew we had talked about it. He said, if the winds come up, because everything roars off the glaciers right. in that country and – he, he said, I'm going to have to wait for a windbreak if, if things come up. So he says, if it's windy and you don't see me, even though it's clear. That's why. You know, yeah, don't worry about it. But, yeah, he, he rolled back in on day 14. And, of course, I didn't have anything else to do but go hike around and look at things. I just wasn't going to sit around camp because I didn't know when he was going to come. So I was a ways away from camp when he okay. came in and landed. And so I hustled back as quick as I could get there. Well, he hadn't turned his hearing aids on. And he was pulling the, the plane up and tying it off. And I didn't want to get too close. Spook him. <laughs> yeah, to, to spook him. And he turned around and he looked at me and his eyes got big. And he said, man, am I glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I was really sure that you were yeah, dead, man. That's what he said. He said, I thought I was going to be up here looking for a pile of bones. I've been worried so about you for 14 days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he's a really good guy. Well, that's pretty special. Your first sheep ever solo solo rip 
uh, in Alaska and a nice sheep. Yeah. Yeah. It was really lucky. Um, man, those days just waiting for an airplane to come. They're special in so many ways. You know, how many times in life do you get to just be that unplugged or that? It's like a, a beautiful meditation out there, but it's also a, a painful incarceration at time yeah where you can't leave no you can't leave and uh you have no say in this and you're you know we're lucky enough today we can in reach text messages stay in touch with people i keep an ipad mini on the airstrip and we'll watch movies so (laughs) i'm spoiled you you were just staring at nylon (laughs) yeah and a book and a book yeah read it front and backwards i'm sure yeah what you remember what book you carried with you back boy i don't that's a good it, question, though. It just like uh, the movies, I've talked about this before on here, uh, books or movies, whatever you watch when you're out uh, off-grid, they like sit with you way deeper than w- if you were to read that book in your living room, you know, over the course of a month or whatever. Um, you dream about it. You wake up when you think about it hiking the next day. And so we made a rule last guide season that we were only going to watch comedies because <laughs> it was just like we couldn't afford the mental burden of like watching something heavy because then it just sticks with you too hard. Yeah. So you got to keep it light. <laughs> uh, so we stuck to comedies only after that. Yeah. Andrew and Brandon, I watched The Perfect Storm. And I think all three of us were crying at the end. Like, it, was, it was rough. Man. <laughs> it was really sad. And then I just couldn't shake it. Um, so that's your first ram, and that's your first time hunting out of an airplane uh, in Alaska. And I know from there you really started to perfect your art. And how long were you in Alaska? Thirteen years. Thirteen years as a resident. Yeah. And you you hunted more than just sheep. I know you've got big moose brown bear several mountain goats you did it all but sheep hunting would you agree was your forte yeah i that that was the most enjoyable hunting for me uh i i did mountain goat was a close second but just the terrain in the country and the amount of country you could cover was different and yeah, i mean you know that really well where boy you, you get into some of that mountain goat country and it's hard to connect Mm-hmm. So you might be going all the way back out to make another approach. I like the fact that you could get on in in some of the sheep country and, and keep moving through different drainages and see a lot more country than I think you typically can goat hunting. Yeah, and using the ridge to your advantage and being able to slip through what appears to be wide open country, but you're able to to sneak through it, maybe not blow sheep. Yeah, yeah. strategically hunt basin to basin. Um, did you start kill? Did you get, you had a slow start. Did you get to a point where you were killing sheep every year? Did you, yeah. have, you had a good run? Yeah. They came from somewhere. I've seen them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, it got a lot better after that. Uh, pretty much every sheep hunt that I went on after that was a fly in. Yep. And you're just able to access different country, obviously. Mm-hmm and and get away from people and then if you're able to also piggyback trying to aggressively get away from the strip now you can get into some country where you're not seeing other people 
and you just have better opportunities. Yeah, that's like a universal truth across all hunting. Like the further yeah. you get away from the damn road, the better the hunting is probably going to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what were some of the the learning curves in your sheep from you, besides your gear slowly getting more dialed? Uh, what were some of like the strategic hunting learning curves you had? Did you get into, uh, after seeing those big grams, I'm asking a couple questions. After yeah. seeing those big grams after harvesting, did you ever on a next hunt get real selective and let rams pass? No. Um, I had kind of made the decision that I wasn't going to shoot something on age. Mm-hmm. Just because it was, it, it's hard to do, and and I didn't have good optics, and then, I and I did. I lucked out by taking a nice ram on my first hunt, so that kind of set the bar in some respects. And that that first ram, I assume, was full curl of thirty nine yep. inches or beyond full curl and over eight years as well. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and so, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I was that I was particularly selective. But was also hunting an area that that I did not see any ewes in once you got back into those drainages. So of all the times uh, that, that I was hunting in there, you'd see some ewes lower, ewes and lambs. But once you got a day away from there, it was it was just smaller rams and larger rams. <laughs> so, yeah. And I want to talk many about of that day away. So you're, you're kind of infamous for uh this solo you're doing all this stuff alone and you started i would say from the stories i've heard started doing more technical gnarly shit to get into more remote hardcore areas is that correct yeah yeah what did what did some of that look like well a lot of it was just trying to piece together the country Mm. so finding routes yeah yeah so And, and, and I think part of that came in where you had to think about being able to travel the country a little bit different. So take, for example, one of the spots that I'd go in, you had to walk completely up one drainage, completely down the other drainage. And there was only one spot that you could get around the nose because of the creek bed and the, and the, and the the way that the cliff came down. So if you didn't spend the time to figure that out, then you weren't going to get back in there. You weren't going to get there. Yeah. So, and, and the first year didn't make it back in there. Cause you didn't know how. Yeah. No, cause you couldn't put it together. And so then, and, and then there's a lot of people, unless you're really hell bent on getting to that one spot, because you, you're not going to see sheep back in there from where you were. You'd have to know that you want to go there and you'd have to figure that out and spend the time. Cause it, it added an extra, oh, half day to three quarters of a day just to get through that one yeah. spot. Wow. And so that those were the little things that I found that that separated you from having to be around other pressure. And the harder it got, the more challenging it got, the more uh remote or special of a spot you were able to get to, the more you fell in love with this stuff. Oh, for sure. It's just the yeah. addiction kept growing. Yeah. Um your most memorable sheep to me is obviously your longest horned sheep, which is a 44-inch doll. Yeah. Is that your most special sheep? You're on the cover of Eastman's as a young man. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, that's your contact photo in my phone. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. <laughs> that's I funny. get to see that sheep a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's quick from the outside looking in saying that must be your most largest accomplishment as a sheep hunter maybe, uh, but maybe not. Well, how do you feel about that, Ram? Yeah, that that was. It, it was a very special hunt the way that it went down. And um, because that ram was with nine rams. Holy but was, there were nine rams together. How many of them are legal? Uh, I'd say three. Okay. But there was one that was equally as big as he was and might have measured larger. I Equally as long? No, he wasn't. He was heavier. Okay. But he was still 41, 42 Whoa. at the time. And probably 14-inch bases, maybe bigger. Wow. Why didn't you shoot him? I didn't have the opportunity. Ah. So, but I still don't think I would have. It, they, they just The 44 looked, is so show. I mean, how, they are. no human being would be able to shoot any other one standing <laughs> next to Yeah. Him. It's a twister. I mean, if you haven't seen this sheep, uh, you probably don't have to look too far into some stone glacier stuff to see Kurt with this ram, but it's a 44-inch lamb-tipped doll sheep that just looks like it. It looks like a double-curled sheep. It's incredible. Would you say yeah. it's a tight curl? It was. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it was it a look tight even curl. Longer. Yeah. So you didn't have a chance at the other one. No, I didn't. As I was moving over towards them, I, I think I was on day three found them on day no i must have been on day four because i found them on day three and they were all together and then the rain set in and loss of visibility ain't that the worst yeah it was but it actually worked out pretty well at the time because i had to make it down this open well, ridge it gave you cover yeah that would have been about 1600 yards you would have been right out in the wide open huh and so i made it down through there made camp and then started to work my way up that direction the next day and that's when i caught eight rams mm. coming across and the other big one was with them and they weren't within range and they didn't see me they were just actually working the way that i just come from okay but the other ram wasn't with them so i figured well i'll just continue up to where they were betty's up there somewhere. yeah yeah hope, hopefully i find them if i don't i'll double back see if i can't find these guys pursue the eight yeah and so that's what happened and i made it up through there and it was rainy and fog was rolling in and out and i found embedded and he was uh, he was probably 450 yards at that point but you could i found a spot and the, the fog kept coming in and out so you really didn't have a shot i didn't feel comfortable shooting from where i was Is 450 yard shot something you were doing back in the day no no, no that's what yeah because that's all come so far too it has it has yeah the of any of the sheep i shot the longest was 200 yards. Oh, you you were getting right in there. Yeah, and a lot of times it was just the terrain that allowed it. Yeah, I, I hear you. So you find this sheep alone in the fog. Yep. And then he's bedded. And you and don't feel comfortable about no, it. I don't feel comfortable. So then I dropped down underneath of him, and there was one shoot that you could come up. And you had to pick one of two or three shoots once you were down there. So I didn't really know. That, but they were pretty tight. I didn't, I didn't want to come up right on top of him. Right. But I made the wrong choice. And when I popped up over the top, I was 35 yards from him. Oh, wow. Did you bump him? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, he jumped up, took off running. I had one shot, and I shot him at 50 yards. You shot him on the run? Yep. That 44? Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah That's but. incredible. 
That's pretty Western. Yeah, yeah, I guess looking back it is because <laughs> I've never shot anything else on the run. Just rolled them up. <laughs> yeah. 50 yards. Is, yeah. But it, it 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 was an easier running shot, though, because he was he was running quartering away from me. Oh, I'm not criticizing it. I think you <laughs> obviously yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that had to have been pretty special. It was, yeah. You knew – you knew probably had a good idea what he was before you shot him, and then getting to put hands on a on a ram of that caliber had to have been pretty life changing. It yeah, it, it really was. It was uh, yeah yeah, it was really special. Did you have a, a timer on a camera to take that oh, yeah. photo? Yeah, <laughs> you've had no, to do a lot school. of those through the years. Yeah, solo sheep hunter, you got to <laughs> figure out how to take a good selfie. <laughs> um, yeah, the sheep's incredible. Um, but it's hard to pick a favorite when I look through your trophy room. Um, what happened to that sheep uh, skull that night? Oh, yeah. So I ended up, I had a wolverine come up. And the spot I had camped on it was one of the only little flat spots on this open ridge. You have a habit of doing that. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. And, yeah, a wolverine came in and got a hold of it and rolled it down the hill and then i had to go find it and then i found it that night in the dark and then i brought it back up and i tied it off to my tent how terrified were you <laughs> well yeah on many accounts because i thought well if i can't ever find the head you can't just walk out of here with a bunch Sheet of meat, meat no, like, well fortunately i had photos so take, it wasn't that big deal take my but, word it was a good ram. yeah yeah i did not want to lose this i promise how but, far did the wolverine get with it not very far. He only made it about 40 yards, and then he hit some Did you alders. see him, or you cut his track? Uh-uh. Well, I guess I just assumed it was. Well, it had to have been. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything else that would Not have a been up. up there. No, no. No way. No, I don't think so. And then you, you tied it off to your tent or something? Yeah, then I tied it to my tent. I, uh, I've only killed one dull sheep, but it that cave and had spent the night in my vestibule <laughs> yeah. i was like and we were covered up in bears where we were yeah i was like i'm not i will go out fighting so I'm not, <laughs> like, not, nothing is taking this away from me um yeah that's funny so that was a that was a highlight obviously or maybe a pinnacle for you what uh can you think of a time in your solo hunting career where you got into a dangerous situation or uh, you regretted a mistake you made or you thought, man, I'm in over my head right now, whether it be weather or terrain or getting stuck on an airstrip for 14 days and maybe not having enough food. What What are some of the times where you've scared yourself? I, I can think of several times where it almost feels like when you climb too far up a tree when you're a kid because it's <laughs> easy to go up right that's a great analogy and so you can put crampons on and get up through some pretty gnarly stuff it's just like i say just like climbing up a tree but if you get to a spot where you can't go any farther you make a decision you're not going back down is treacherous or it can be a lot harder a lot more dangerous yeah and so yeah, there were several instances where I, I got myself into a spot where I thought, okay, now how the hell am I going to get out of this safely? Because you, see, you have all your gear. That was one of the things that I always, that I decided to do early was to never leave my gear behind. Keep everything with you. Yeah, yeah. 
within within reason. So if there were spots where I would go to glass or I'd do something like that, but I wouldn't take off and go hunt for a day without my kit. You're packing up. I would. So shot. normally, yeah, yeah, normally I'd get up in the morning, I'd glass all the spots that were there around camp, and if I decided to go for a hunt, I'd break down camp and take it with me because really for what you were leaving behind was only, you know, 10 pounds. It's uh, every time... I feel like the more relatable scenario of that, if people aren't out solo backpack sheep hunting, uh, anybody hunting deer, elk, whatever, we, we're all guilty of at some point on a stock, you start to leave pieces of gear behind you, like a little trail of breadcrumbs. You're like, all right, we'll take your pack off. Yeah. Right, put the, leave the spotter here. Take your boots off. And <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, you're like, I got shit strong <laughs> of the past mile behind me across this mountainside. Yeah. We talked about that before. We're like, just, Never leave your pack. No, just don't. Just keep it with you. Yeah, you're you're not gaining that much. No, and I still do it. I'm still guilty <laughs> of it. I was hunting mule deer this year, and I dropped my pack to get, roll up over a ridge to try to shoot something, and it didn't work out. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I got to hike back and go get my backpack. I still <laughs> yeah. haven't learned this yeah. lesson, I guess. Yeah. Um. So through this chapter of your life, these 13 years you spent in Alaska – when i know you're teaching school you're killing sheep you welded boats together as a side hobby or a business yeah. for a while fabricating we call it i yep. guess yeah when did gear design start interesting you and what were some of the first projects you started fiddling with so what really got me into it was trying to drop weight and trying to figure out how to do that and so most of your gear was readily available. You could just buy off the shelf to lose pounds. And especially when you started looking at a lot of the ultralight backpacking, through hiking, these huge trips that guys were doing, you could start to pull some of those little tricks that they were using. Mm. But it wasn't until backpacks when I got to that spot where I was trying to find a backpack that was sub 10 pounds that would do what I wanted it to do. And there just really wasn't anything out there and in that range. And I, I, I shouldn't say there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything that fit me well mm. to be able to do that. So that's where it started. I got a sewing machine, started figuring out how to modify different types of packs. And, and your original goal and your original idea and design was you wanted the ability to carry a sheep off the mountain with all of your gear in one trip in one trip and i figured that that was in between 110 and 115 pounds oh. that's a capped skull it's heavy that's it is yeah but you had uh enough engineering sense to know you needed to get that heavy stuff against your back yeah that heavy stuff being sheep meat and horns yep and so you are the ingenious inventor of what we now know today as a load shelf, which is a common thing in the backpack world today, but you actually made your own back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really where it started. It was being able to, it, cause it was twofold. It was being able to keep the meat separate from it. So there were just so many advantages to being able to do that. First one, being able to move that you're the heaviest portion of the load closest to your center of gravity. So it just becomes a more stable load, creates less leverage pulling you back. It just 
requires less effort mm -hmm. if you can reduce the that that leverage. But the other thing it allowed is it was really easy to on those types of hunts. There's a lot of management, as you know, that goes into taking care of the meat yeah. on your way out. So when you get back to camp, you need to get it into a spot where it can breathe, where it can, can continue to cool, where it stays dry. And um, previously, the meat doesn't have a designated spot. It's just getting lumped into your pack with all of your gear and clothing and food. Yeah. And then you got to constantly manage that and everything's getting bloody and meat might be getting uh mishandled and yeah and it doesn't breathe that well while it's inside of most backpacks sure, so if you can it? get it into a load shelf you can still get some air to it yeah and that was uh the ultimately was the the the, the defining point that started stone glacier it was yeah you uh brought ultralight backpacks to the hunting market in a way people hadn't done before and had this load carrying system that the entire mountain hunting and backpack hunting community has adopted across the entire spectrum now to this point you yeah. uh you rewrote the book on backpack hunting it's pretty cool <laughs> well thanks um after alaska you came to montana and you started your family yes yep did you know what the unlimited sheep units were before uh, you moved back? I I did, but I had never I'd never spent any time in any of the districts mm -hmm. for for any reason. Um, well, that's not completely true. When I was younger, we used to do some snowmobiling on the south end of them. Good place to die. It is a good yeah yeah that's a tough one. I love snowmobiling, and it's it's like. It scares the hell out of me. Yeah, well, it should. You still that. got that timber sled? No, I, I have a regular sled now. Oh, you do? Yeah. Why'd you hear the timber sled? I didn't ride it very well. I was kind of always on the brink of You're disaster. probably too tall. Well, I'm not a very good dirt bike rider oh, to right? start, so that God, that didn't help. Hit, at least I, you're hitting snow. Dirt yeah. biking is rough. Yeah, yeah. I didn't grow up on them. I grew up on snowmobiles, but I just thought that, that would be the next step, and I had a good time on them. I just, I like the sleds better. Yeah. Yeah, they They're are faster. incredible machines, and they will rip. They will. Uh, yeah, I sold my dirt bike to my brother, and he had it for less than a year. He had, like, two or three gnarly crashes in, in less than a year, and he was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not a dirt biker. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's got a four-wheeler now. Oh, that's it's really fun, but. Okay, yeah. so you'd been in there snowmobiling into yeah. the wilderness area, and uh well, I guess not in the wilderness area if you're riding a snowmobile around. But. Yeah, no, I'm just on the edge. But, yeah, regardless, and then when I moved back, I wasn't a resident of Montana. Yeah, you're that in this first weird fall. limbo land. Yeah. You're really not a resident of anywhere. Nope. so I bought a non-resident tag because I couldn't hunt Alaska anymore. Sheep tag. Sheep tag. Mm. And in the unlimited districts, so that was my first first stint back in there and it was humbling because i just thought like you just go as hard as you can right and cover as much country as you can but well, it's different that, let's talk about the similarities and differences what were some of the i'm sure i mean you're a very humble person but i'm sure there's no way you weren't confident going into that if anybody's going to kill a sheep it's going to be an experience my bet would be on the experienced accomplished sheep hunter yeah 
Did you get a bit of a wake-up call? Oh, 100%. And what was the biggest differences between Alaska and Montana? Well, a lot of the terrain was similar, and it, it can get real technical. Uh, but the biggest difference was timber, where you could glass. As you well know, a lot of times when you're in Alaska, there's only a few herds that really spend that much time in timbered areas. Sure. Dull sheep in, in Alaska, and especially early in the season. So you're looking at big open slopes, shale, trying to pick things out. They can still disappear right in front totally. of Totally. Yeah, they're, they're, it, it's not There's not, not a as easy. there, though. No, but there's not a forest. And, and you can still try to locate them during the day. And I just found... I didn't see any sheep the first trip that I went back in there. Boy, in, similar in to day one in Alaska. It was, yeah, like, very oh, similar. I'm starting all over again. Yep, and that's what it felt Hiking like. Hiking in. There's no airplane here. Nope. And I can't find any sheep. Nope, and I don't know really where to look. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of intel. Um, so you, you got that non-resident tag while you were reestablishing residency in Montana. You did your first rip into the unlimiteds uh junta opener i did and yeah. did you see a sheep no did not see not a even sheep. you nope did you see a mountain goat yeah i did yeah yeah i saw a couple of goats usually count on seeing those in there yeah but that's about it but that that is about it gosh it's uh it's barren some days it feels like you are hunting scorched earth on the back side of the moon in there yeah and you just have to have to keep the faith that someday, some year, that ram is going to step out of the timber and you're going to see illegal, unlimited bighorn sheep. Uh, how long did it take you? How many years until you you started seeing sheep or you felt like you knew what you were doing in there? Well, the, <laughs> do we ever know what we're doing? No, huh? <laughs> look at me now. Uh, that's I think that's that's what's fun about it. And so that next season, I was a resident, and I went in and ended up finding a legal ram. And year two. Year two. Yeah, and then, and then of course you're sitting out for a while. You killed your ram year two. Yep. I suppose I knew that already. Um, but I that kind of surprised to me right now for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and that was a tremendous solo backpacking wilderness accomplishment. How many days were you out there on that one? Um, I th I'm trying to remember. I think it was 11. Yeah. I think you planned uh, 10 or something. Yeah. And it took you getting them out and stuff. You yep. ended up being 11 days. Uh, bighorn versus dull sheep. You think the pack outs are heavier than one or the other? Yeah, definitely heavier with bighorn. Mm-hmm. So in Alaska, it like a dumb question, but I'm, I'm no, uh, questioning myself. I've packed both out. And yeah, no, I first off the, there, in my opinion, there was more meat. And of course the, the unlimited rams are not the physical size of say a break sheep. Sure. But the other thing that's a requirement here in the state is you have to take the entire head and cape. So there being able go. to in Alaska where you cap the skull and then you drop 15 pounds right there. Oh, yeah, easily. The skull and, and jaw. Yeah, so it it adds a lot of weight. Yeah, interesting. And you don't get to go to an airstrip, although you your airstrip was still very hard to get to from your hunting spots in Alaska. But there's no shortcuts in the Beartooth Wilderness. And no, there's there very not. few trails. Yeah. So it is 
it is a nasty place to get around. Um, did you just see one ram? That yeah, I saw. Left? Well, the funny thing about it is that I had been in there. Boy, I think I think it was eight or nine days, and I was camped on this one spot, and it was, and I was going to move over into the next drainage. How many days you so? How many like you go into a, a basin, and the thing with these timber ram, they could be right there. Yeah. If you don't look in the right spot at the right time of day, you missed them. You'd be quick to write it off. How many days are you uh, sitting in each spot? It depends a little bit on the country, but I try to set it up so that I can glass the same area twice. So okay. sometimes, depending on where you're at, you might only be able to glass it efficiently in mornings because of the way the, the sun's light. coming in. So I try to, it, it just depends on how many faces you, that you can keep an eye on. And, but normally I'm at least one night in each spot, sometimes two. And I'd been two in this spot. And then boom, there he was. And you saw well, that last light, didn't you? Yeah. Well, the funny thing about it is that I was going to move camp. I didn't see anything in that spot. And then I, but when I, the direction I wanted to go, I wanted to take the ridge line up over through this plateau and come back down. But there was this herd of elk that was up in that plateau. Hmm. So I decided to stick to the timber. I, I don't know why. It just felt weird to go walk through. Blowing elk out. Blowing elk too. out of there. Yeah. And I dropped down off of my camp, and I was only about 100 yards from my camp, and I bumped a sheep. And it was a lone know, sheep. You didn't know what it was, though. All I saw was a rump and the strips going down the inner part of the legs as he popped down through there. It's, and then it big horn sheep. It was a big horn sheep, and it buckled back to the left, and I was going to the right, and it just it went through the timber, went through this um, cliff band, and around the tip of the ridge, and so that's you said, I just I'm getting out of here. I'm yeah, not going to bump him more. No, I'm not going to bump him more. So I continued. Did you see horns? Over. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. You know, there's a yeah. solo sheep in the it's timber. A, it's a solo it's sheep in the timber. It's and then, sign. yeah, I went around the other side and set up camp. And then that night, I glassed back to where I had camped, and I found him. How close was he from your previous camp spot? Oh, like I say, it, maybe 150 yards. Oh, he was right. He was right yeah. under your nose. He was right under my nose. And you spent a whole day there? Yeah, I spent a whole day it's there. It's crazy to speculate, like... At what point were you like looking right here and he's a hundred yards right here? I know, I know. It Maybe made not. Me wonder. Well, he was bedded, so. So you worked your way back around the next day. And yep, yep, the next day. Room. Yeah. And it's a beautiful sheep. Yeah, thanks. Um, you had to sit out your seven years and now you're back in the saddle. Yeah. How do you like, do you feel like it's changed in the last decade? Do you feel I like don't think more, so. I don't think so either. No, and. And then when you when you look at the numbers of the number of tags that are sold, it's always kind of gone through a cycle, mm-hmm. even because they published that even back into, I don't know, geez, 25 years ago. And I know that the units have been broken out, so it's not completely apples to apples, but there's not a huge difference in the number. I do think that there are more guys accessing deeper. Some of the sheep habits have changed. It's because you keep They've selling them all this cool gear. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. shooting yourself in the foot here. Yeah, I know. Now, that's crossed my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We add a couple pounds to the next X-frame. <laughs> yeah. Slow these boys down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but you love it. The You've been... 
back in it two years now? Four. Are no, you five. How am I that far off? Yeah. God, the years go by too fast. Yeah, they do. Have you seen Illegal Ram? No. Have you seen some sub-legal rams? Yeah, yeah, I've probably seen 10, you know, 8 to 10 wow. sub-legal. You enjoying the process? I love the process. I look forward to it all year. You eager to get one? Not really. <laughs> I, I figured that was going to be your well, answer. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's my favorite time out in the woods. And so the thought of not being able to do it or look forward to it, yeah. it just isn't. I don't yeah, know. That's a, that's a pure, pure way to look at it, man. Yeah, but um, but certainly wouldn't pass up the opportunity. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah, enjoy obviously. the process. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I love following along. You know, past couple of years through unlimited opener, I've been up in Alaska, and I'm I check the quotas like just like feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah. I check them religiously and try to watch them progress through the season but well, i'll be back in there yeah. in a couple years too yeah exactly you're not that far off yeah but i'm shooting myself in the foot too with getting my big brother into all this shit <laughs> yeah i know he's he's a nut he is uh he'll just call me or text me randomly just be like i just i just can't stop thinking about the, the next basin in there and i keep he's like i've been on google earth mapping out a route for next September for the last three hours. <laughs> like he's, he's got the bug bad. And oh, that's good. It doesn't just, go away. I hope he kills one before I'm back in the saddle because I'm sure that we'll hunt together and I'd have to let him go for it. <laughs> yeah. Flip a coin, man. But to your uh, perspective, I would love, I'd much rather see my brother get an unlimited Ram than me get a second. Yeah. Um, so I hope we do get to do that together. And then when he does kill, he better pony up and still come help me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, that's been an incredible career of sheep hunting, and you're still doing it today as aggressive as ever. Yeah. You think Trying. we'll uh, hunt another doll? I don't know. That's a really good question. I'd love to. Um I guess never say never, but... Well, don't go to Alaska. I know, it's been a little <laughs> rough the last couple I hate to years. say that. Yeah. Or go north or something. Yeah. Um, I remember when you started Stone Glacier, you would joke, you know, if this little if this little backpack company can make enough money someday for, for me to put my kids through college and maybe buy me a stone sheep hunt, that would be the goal. <laughs> And I think you're probably close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not I'm just, I'm, I keep saving. Oh, it's man. On the I, I hope you make that jump. As, yeah. your, as your friend, I hope you do go do that because I know that a stone sheep hunt is would be really special to you. Yeah, that's a, that would be my number one yeah. uh, of, of anything that I could go do. Well, outside of – I mean, I love the unlimited hunts, but – yeah, outside of that, I'd love to go experience. All right, it. we got to get Lyle in here with the marketing budget, and your <laughs> wife in here, and everybody on the same page. Roscoe to BC, 2024. <laughs> yeah, I'm going. Uh, I'm accompanying a stone sheep hunt this year. You are. Yeah, I'm going to Big Nine. Oh, that's right going to be good. That you is know, going to be good. The the historic stone sheep country. Oh yeah. I was talking with Schinnebarger about it. 
And uh-huh. I told him, I don't know a whole lot about Stone Sheep. I told him where I was going. He was like, that's the spot. He was like, that's the his, the famous old school pack trip, big Stone Sheep hunts. Yeah. I don't get to kill yeah. anything, but I, I'm so excited. I've never even seen one, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. That, yeah, that's going to be. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Get to get to tag along and act like a stone sheep hunter. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to that. What are some of the things you're working on at Stone Glacier these days? So if you had a elevator pitch of some of your new products for 2023, you brought me over a badass. Are we allowed to talk about? Oh that? yeah, for sure. Badass pair of uh, gloves, and it's a whole glove system. Just tell me what I'm looking at here. So this is altimeter gloves, and we also make uh, mitts for colder weather. And so the concept behind these was to be able to use a waterproof breathable shell, three-layer waterproof breathable that's seam-taped, and then have a removable synthetic liner where regulating moisture on your hands is really tough because as you start to heat up it's one of the first places where you sweat and then a lot clawing, of it clawing up the hill yeah. and stuff yeah I always, I always carry multiple pairs of gloves with me lion hunting yeah for sure and it's it's hard to keep moisture snow or anything out of the cuff sometimes so you, your hands are in and out of them the concept is is that you can take the synthetic liner out throw them in your jacket throw them in your sleeping bag at night you can get the moisture out of them and start with a dry pair of gloves because a lot of the insulated gloves, the insulation is integral to the to the glove patterning, and once the moisture's in there, it's pretty tough to get They're out. They're done. Yeah, unless you unless you could take them home and hang them over the the fireplace for a while. Yeah, which we don't have that option out there. No. Um, so you took. I feel like you took a really nice insulated, waterproof synthetic glove and broke it into two pieces. Yeah, that's and exactly. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like but, most of the things you design, it's <laughs> like, why didn't, why weren't we doing this before? <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, the other thing that it offers is that you can use the waterproof breathable shell on its own or with a merino liner or with a Anything. lighter soft shell glove for early season. So it's not just a late season piece. Um, and then it's the same thing with the, the mitten where you can remove the the insulated liner and you can just use a mitt. I used to do that a lot in Alaska mm-hmm. just because there weren't seam taped shell gloves really available at that point. Yeah. And so really the only ones that were out there were mitts, but they, it works very well. Um, what are some of the other product categories? You know, obviously Stone Glacier is known for the backpacks, the tents, um, you've recently broken into a bino harness, gaiters, gloves, some more shelters. What are some of the things you're working on that excite you? The biggest things, so now we've hit most all of the major categories. Mm-hmm. Now it's really looking at each category and each offering we have and make sure that we're filling in any gaps. So take, for example, this year. We have a couple of new mid-layer insulation pieces that we have. One of them is called the Circlite Jacket, which is a insulated piece, hybrid, works very well on its own as your primary outer layer early season, but then is a great layering piece late season. So think of it like a Helio hoodie that you have on right now with insulation. Yep. And so that's real uh, versatile. some patterning to it, correct? There is, yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, so... What we've done is... And I don't mean camo. 
No, uh-uh. Yeah, good, good call. Uh, so in the places where you need more breathability, we do body mapping where the side panels up through the armpit is a microgrid fleece that's more breathable. Um, it, 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 and then keeping the core portion insulated, insulated. being down through your center, over your arms, yep. tops of your arms, in so the hood. Spots where you're going to be hottest and sweatiest, you've designed, you've, you've uh, mapped in the fabric to manage that appropriately. Yeah. And then the areas that we need to conserve our core heat, you've insulated. Exactly. In hybrid piece. And what's yeah. that called? What's that? Oh, the Cirque Light. The Cirque Light. Yep. And then the other thing that we have done, too, is we've had the, the our down Grumman jacket for i think four years now yeah and but it's a very warm piece yes and it is and it's tough to be active in it unless it's really cold you're gonna break a sweat so you're gonna break a sweat so it, it's it's great for glassing and what it was designed for but now we're gonna offer also the grumman light mm. which is a down version that has 60 percent of the amount of down um, it's just a smaller package twice the number of baffles Something that's going to work well in that uh, early to mid season as a layering piece, but you could also be more active in it just because you have less down. Yeah. You know what? My favorite piece uh, that I've got in the last year or two is the M7. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. I live it this time of year, cat hunting and snowmobiling. I live in it. Like the M7 pant, it's a, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's a fleece lined. Uh, waterproof pant. Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, yeah. Um, and with trapping and cat hunting and snowmobiling, there's so much snow and moisture. Um, it's I would never last in a pair of uh, the Haviland pants for the day. I would just get wet. Yeah. So the M7 is just like the perfect late season uh, active option for me. Yeah, and I really like it too. That was that was a pet project of mine. That was something nice. that I wanted to see personally in the line, just because it fit a lot of the late season hunts oh, that I do. So, yeah, it's so appropriate in so many uh, scenarios. Uh, here, Taylor Diagostino's doing more designing with you. He is, yeah. Going yep. good. Yeah, it's going great. I've always been impressed by the stuff back in the day. He made that bino harness hanging next to you. Yeah, you should check that thing out. I think that's Taylor's first prototype. Yeah, he and I still use it just out of nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> I just that's like great. It. Yeah, yeah. No, he is. He's he's really talented. He can he can put together anything. You guys work together a yep. lot. That's yeah, we do. Cool. Yeah, he's a hell of a guy. He is. Um. Uh, any other 2023 products that you're you want to you want to highlight here real quick um let me yeah so uh our give me a sales pitch sell me tell me uh i'm horrible at this (laughs) 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 if it was up to me i'd be giving everything away yeah i'm not very good at yeah do i have to pay for these gloves i will i will (laughs) (laughs) any new backpacks yeah, so one of our new backpacks this year is well. Last year we came out with the Terminus, and it's a it's an internal frame pack. I should clarify, it is our external frame pack 
that we make, our pack frame that we have sewn a bag to. There you go. So, and then... No load shelf. It has an internal load shelf. What? So in the same position that you'd normally pack bone meat, have put a sleeve that is the size of the... It's four inches deep. You almost picture this like a, a hydration... Yeah, I mean, like a bigger giant. Than, bigger yep. and different than that, but just to simplify it, it's like a big pocket against the frame against the frame yeah so it's a load positioning cell and why would who needs that well i did that was another one of these pet projects where i just i felt like i could make a lighter backpack to do what i wanted to do and so you're losing a whole panel of yeah you're losing multiple panels because you're able to just connect everything together and remove these other parts and pieces does this have something to do with not killing a sheep in five years you're like i don't even use a lot <laughs> yeah yeah i know i've joked about it why am i even carrying a gun yeah oh, oh don't no. beat yourself up no no that's good fun but um yeah so the terminus pack and so we have the terminus 7000 which we came out with last year and that's right under four pounds but now we've had quite a few customers guides that have asked for a larger pack so we have the terminus 8700 good lord yeah based off of the same thing and it, the entire package is four pounds four ounces that for is unreal yep oh. that is <laughs> man who needs a backpack that big i don't yeah yeah well by the what time you, you fill it up brown bears in there yeah well that'll be interesting because we haven't had anybody try that but mm. God, it's just such a big backpack. It is. I think the biggest stone glacier I've ever used is 74, and it was too much. My go-to is a 69 Yeah. or a 3,600. Um, yeah, yeah I just, I, sometimes I wonder. I'm like, what the heck are people carrying? Like, what in the world do you need 8,000 cubic inches for? It is a lot. Yeah. But we've seen everything from guys hauling outboard motors with their frames to brown bear hides and Oh, yeah. Uh, Alaskan moose rear quarters and everything in between. So I guess you push it as far as you want, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I let you go today, uh, we're going to have a guest caller who is uh, a really sophisticated and um, intelligent product designer as well. And he had some ideas he wanted to pitch to you. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to hit him up and see if uh, he can... Give you any ideas for the drawing board. Hello, you there? Hello. Uh, who we got here? Hey, man, this is Greg Dribble. Greg, Greg, how you doing? I appreciate you making time for the phone call. I'm sitting here with... Yeah, but, uh, who's this? Yeah, this, this is Pete, and I'm sitting here with Kurt Roscoe, lead designer at Stone Glacier. Roscoe. Yeah, Roscoe, yeah. He's God, the... Well, yeah, that would be phonetical. Hey, man, Kurt, how you doing, man? Man, doing good. Hey, man, I got questions for you about some of your stuff. I know that. Um, hey, but wait, do you know? Uh, do you know Shane Kaufman? Shane Kaufman? Do you know Shane Kaufman? Uh, that guy was crazy. You love him. <laughs> <laughs> Get you guys together. Hey, man, I know that a lot of your gear is. Uh, influenced by your background as a solo sheep hunter, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you guys are going to ever 
branch out into two-man backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that idea? One on the front, one on the back. Buddy <laughs> bails on you. You can always just wear like a normal backpack, but if you get tired, you can put it on the front and just lay down. <laughs> That's I've been using it for years, man. I'll sell you all I got, all the information, my designs, everything. I got it right here for you. <laughs> okay, okay, that that sounds good. You can hook me up with your contacts. Hey, hey, no, no, I'll be, I'll be right there. Hey, I, man, I gotta go. I gotta go. All right. Well, hey, thanks for pitching us the front, the front and back backpack. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, cool. Good chatting with you, boys. I'll be there. Okay, I gotta go. Right, you gotta go. Okay, all right, there. He's gone. Greg's gone. Okay. <laughs> Well, he's a industry leading designer, and he told me this morning that he was had hoped to have the chance to pitch some ideas to you. <laughs> so, the two man backpack. The two man backpack. Yeah, he was telling me about it this morning. He says, "Great, you know, you, you sometimes you have a backpack on the front, you lay down, take a nap easier." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just one of many good ideas Greg has. So, hopefully, we'll get him back on here to share some more ideas. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in, Kurt. Love you like a brother, and can't wait to see what you do in the years ahead. Hopefully, uh, we get a big unlimited round this coming September, and yeah. you buckle down and uh, book that stone sheep hunt. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great by me. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.